Hello, and welcome to This Week Explained. I am Tiana. And I'm Kervin. And today we'll be discussing the big geopolitical events of the week. But first of all, we wanted to play a clip um, for you guys from this month's episode of Insightful Inquiries. It was released on December 4th. Things have been crazy in the news lately, so we haven't been able to um, push this as much as we'd like to. So let's preface this with this is a clip of Elisa Gaborczyk. She is a cyber analyst and yep. what else does she? I she mean, fights I mean, she, human trafficking. Human trafficking, supports victims of human trafficking. She's got a lot of really good ideas and things you should look out for whenever your children become of the age to go on the internet, you know? Yep. And on this this specific clip, she is talking about predator, online predators that are, are trying, yeah, what online predators are looking for with kids. Um, and I will say, I, I really do think this is one of the most important episodes that we did. Any parent should listen to it for sure. Definitely. And I think it's sometimes as parents, and, and I'm a parent now, we forget if we allow our child to talk, they're going to ask the important questions. And we need to be there to support them in that. Same in schools, too. It needs to be the same way as it is at home. You know, teachers also should kind of have that comfortable connection with their students. So that would probably be my top tips. Also, like I said, don't post everything about your kid because, hey, you like Skittles, you know, or hey, you play basketball. Let's go to a basketball game together, you know, or I'm going to do this for you. These are things that they're looking for. They're not only looking for vulnerabilities, but they're looking for needs and wants. And that's what how kids are going to go in. Yeah. Yep. And she has tons more tips during the episode for keeping your kids safe, you know, mm-hmm. on trips alone, on vacations and online. Online is huge and right now. Not that anyone needs to hear my opinion on things, but I totally agree with her. Keep those lines of communication open with your kids and they're they'll be more willing to come to you whenever they have the hard questions about things. So anyways, thank you, Elisa. Thank you again for coming on our podcast. We appreciate it so much. So much good stuff in that episode. You guys need to listen to it. It is tough to get through, especially if maybe some parts of it resonate a little bit more than you would like it to. Yeah. You know, you know. You know but, what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean. But also, you know, she talks about things that she didn't realize was going on um, until she got older and stepped back and, and looked at it in hindsight. Like um, grooming so, kind of thing? Yeah, grooming like things. Um, grooming children. <laughs> she talks a lot about, you know, these massage parlors that we kind of joke about a lot in society. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not a joke. So... It, it are, is very important. Uh, yeah, those people a lot of times are trafficked. Yep. Very young and forced into those situations. But anyways, if you haven't listened to it yet, give it a listen. It's the December December 4th episode of Insightful Inquiries with Elisa Gaborczyk. Yep. But anyways, we need to get to uh, what's on your radar for this week, sir. All right, we'll do Russia-Ukraine as always, but also um, a lot of things going on with China, not necessarily in China, but everywhere around uh, what China's doing. So we'll get into Chinese-Saudi relations, 
Um, we're going to talk about these Chinese diplomats that were uh, that left the UK and why that happened. J- Japan is actually increasing their military might because of China, um, and we're we're going to get into the U.S. Africa summit that is all predicated on how China is uh, influencing the African continent. We're going to talk the U.S. TikTok ban, which also deals with China. So a lot about um, about China this week. Mm-hmm. But after that, we're going to talk about the Peru protests, as we talked about last week with the Purdue, with the Peru president being uh, arrested and a new president installed. Mm-hmm. They've had some protests. And then with this week's uh, History's Mysteries is the Queen's Spy. And we'll talk about that. It's a very interesting story. Eating healthy has always been a struggle for me. But that was before I discovered the Blendjet 2 Portable Blender. Now, when fast food temptation strikes, I just blend up a delicious and nutritious protein shake. Blendjet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Blendjet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. It lasts for over 15 blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. Best of all, Blendjet 2 cleans itself. You just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. With over 30 colors and patterns to choose from, there's a Blendjet 2 to complement just about any style. We had the traditional black Blendjet when we were on base in Djibouti and I fell in love with it. I had to have this thing. So what are you waiting for? Christmas is right around the corner. Go to Blendjet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use our promo code this week 12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the Blendjet 2 Portable Blender. Go to Blendjet.com and use the code THISWEEK12. That's this week one word, and the number 12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Okay, well, we have a lot to get through. Hold on, mommy. Cheersing you through the computer screen. We Wine's brought the wine day. back, guys, because for some reason you guys really liked our wine casting. Mm, nice, wine cast. <laughs> you, you called earlier, so I'm not going to take credit for that. That, <laughs> that was definitely you. But anyways, what, what's the big news coming out of the war? Ugh, the war in Ukraine. Maybe this wine well, is a bad idea. Well, well I got My three things. Like yeah. or something I can't articulate. It's too. T- so we got three things going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the war in Ukraine and it's bombs, bombs and more bombs. Because uh, Russia has gone all out this week. They're trying to knock out infrastructure all over Ukraine since the winter hit. Um, but they really focused this week on the capital of Kiev. I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, but I'll ask it anyway for other people who may not know. Will we see some sort of ceasefire by Christmas Day? Uh, that's an excellent question. It's a great story from World War II, the Christmas Day ceasefire that happened uh, where everybody came was together. World War II or World War I? Uh, I thought it was two. It might have been one. It may have been both, honestly. Well. They might have, I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking. 
I don't know. Because I was thinking of that Doctor Who episode, and that takes place during World that's, War One. That's and right. So it's that World War One. Yep. We had a ceasefire in World War Two because we saw an episode of Unsolved. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sorry. Well, with all Perhaps of that we said. We should have researched. That, well, no, because with all that said, that's not happening. So it does not okay, look like. Okay. You're like, shut up. Who cares? It doesn't matter yeah. which war. <laughs> they had a ceasefire. And this war is probably not going to have that. <laughs> no, it, it won't. Um, so your question was a solid question because even Ukrainian President Zelensky had asked the same thing. So he wanted some sort of withdrawal from Russian troops or even a mm. ceasefire before Christmas. And Russian President Vladimir Putin confirmed <laughs> that fighting from the Russian side is going to continue through Christmas. Not shocked. Yeah. <laughs> At all. But have there been any changes in military positions over the last week? So honestly, no, the troop movements on both sides have been limited. Um, right now, the weather in Ukraine, I, I checked it today. It's chill, um, it's 29 degrees and snowing. So mm-hmm. the snow has hit the ground over the last few and days. And that's 29 degrees Fahrenheit, guys. I know yeah, most of our listeners do Celsius. So, but we're American. And we yeah, we got coal in our way. We got to make everything difficult. <laughs> Coles in New Zealand going, that is hot, man. Yeah, <laughs> what are you talking about? Why do we need to worry about him hitting critical infrastructure for heating? Yeah. Sounds like a blessing to me. <laughs> so I'm glad you did uh, You did bring that up. It is uh, Fahrenheit. So it's below well, my, freezing. Most of most of our listeners are from other countries. So That's I feel true. like we need to, I don't know, from here on out, maybe use the appropriate. We do need use, to use both. Yeah. Yeah. We do. We do need to do that. Come on, come on, now, man. I, I will say that that mm-hmm. those temperatures and with snow hitting the ground, um, you know, historically it's not like battles can't be fought in the snow. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you know World War II's Battle of the Bulge, which was the turning point uh, in 1994 in World War II. You uh, said 1994. Oh, yeah, that's World War II, right? 94. No, sorry, 1944. <laughs> Maybe I may have misheard you, but it sounded like you said 1994 to me. I but probably I you'll did. Fi- you'll find out. You'll figure it out. In post. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll figure, you'll figure this out in post. It's fine. <laughs> but um, like I was saying, the, you know, there's no reason to not. Well, there's always a reason to not fight. But uh, yeah. it's not as if war stopped just because it's snowing. Um, exactly. They, they keep going. But the problem right now is that both sides are de- dealing with very low morale. Mm-hmm. And so that, how do you make troops even? How do you more miserable? Th- more you miserable. More miserable. <laughs> you make them fight when it's when they're freezing. Um, so with those temperatures going down, the morale's going to get even lower. Um, it's. I will say that over the next month or two, you're probably going to see more missiles and drones sent to disrupt infrastructure, uh, which will only make people more miserable. Well, that's not the news that we're hoping for this close to Christmas, but it's par for the course. (laughs) Yeah. So let's get into the China conversation now, which it's pretty much China here on out. How does China's new partnership with Saudi Arabia affect geopolitics? Oh, my God. Well, uh, there is a lot. (laughs) You got the first word that I said, not that blue, but oh, my God. I'll ask uh, Google to translate it, but. We have a ton to unpack here. We have a ton to unwrap. If it, you know, it's Christmas season, so let's uh, start unwrapping everything. Go first. Saudi Arabia is an ally for the U.S. for many years. 
We know China and the U.S. have fractured relations. So what I'm going to say is they are not the most reliable ally. Uh, They're not the most reliable ally to anybody, but both Saudi Arabia and the U.S. have been able to work together. Uh, And honestly, recently, the U.S. capitulated to the Saudis on numerous occasions. And one very important one we talked about just a month ago, the Biden administration said that Saudi Arabia's crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, should be granted immunity in the case brought against him by the family of Jamal Khashoggi. I know. He was the murdered journalist, uh, and it has been put out there that the crown prince actually requested his murder. Mm. So, U.S. capitulated, and now Saudi Arabia is agreeing to a deal with China that is going to give Chinese telecommunication companies like Hawaii more access to Saudi infrastructure. And while this agreement is happening, the U.S. is discussing banning more Chinese companies like TikTok, which we're going to get into a little bit later in this episode. Okay, but how does this change the geopolitical landscape? So right now it doesn't change much because the Saudis have, much like every government in the world, uh, they've looked out for their own best interests. That's all this is about with China. Um, And they're going to continue to straddle the fence of alliances for their own best interests. Are they concerned about China gaining access to all their data like everyone should be? Everyone should be. um, But I think (laughs) that they weighed the pros and cons. Um, And I don't know personally. I'm not in discussions with the the Saudi kingdom. Yeah, of course. Of course. But I believe that they've decided um, China's going to have all their data anyway. If you can't beat them, join them. And is that where the U.S. differs? Does the U.S. believe they can beat China? Yeah. So, um, so we're Saudi saying we can't beat them. We got to join them. The U.S. goes, we can beat them. And that's because of American exceptionalism, right? We are arrogant as heck. <laughs> that's what we think. We are full of ourselves. Yes. Uh, so we tend to believe as Americans, these are two Americans talking. Two Americans. Um, Typically, Americans believe that we are better than everyone else, except in soccer, which we have found out in the World Cup. At least we know that there is a line. (laughs) Yeah, we know what we're good at. I I honestly want to know where this makes our relationship with Saudi Arabia stand. Like where we stand now that they are, you know, now that they're making deals with China. Does this so, affect our relationship with Saudi Arabia at all? I, I can't say anything right now because I just saw a report and I've got to do a deep dive on it. Right. But, um, you know, if you go onto our Instagram account, you're going to see a post on this. Well, me to go on our <laughs> Instagram account, Mother Cruncher. Yeah, you, you need like, to go no, on. No, no, uh, no. No, I do not. do that. I know. But uh, the newly <laughs> elected and former, former and newly elected, Israeli mm-hmm. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu um, yeah. has come out and said the U.S. needs to strengthen their ties with Saudi Arabia to counter Chinese aggression. And also that Israel is going to start uh, forming a pact with Saudi Arabia to bring peace to the Middle East. Well, I haven't done a deep dive on how that's going to change the geopolitical yeah. spectrum. but I'm going to have a look at that before next week on yep. This Week Explained. I'm going to forget the name. Anyways, um, let's let's finish what we're doing here because you know last week it was a really long episode. Yeah, let's try to not get to an hour and a half. Yeah. 
we our country definitely does tend to get um hyper patriotic to the point of it being super obnoxious yes (laughs) sometimes which you know that's fine and good except whenever it comes to um you know just deciding every other country sucks right when honestly we're all on this planet we're all on this planet we all suck together we all (laughs) for various reasons so that's a discussion for another day though we don't need to get into all that stuff so let's stick with china and talk about what is going on at the Chinese embassy in the UK. Very important conversation to have because uh, this week, six Chinese diplomats left the UK. Um, they were not forced out, but they left because there was a deadline where they would have to submit to local police questioning, local UK police questioning, um, over a violent clash with protesters outside the UK's Chinese consulate um, or the Chinese consulate in the UK. Now, that all stems from an October 16th incident where a fight erupted outside those gates. Um, hopefully you answer why they have to friggin' answer for a protest outside the gates of their embassy. They don't control that. That's also the embassy. But anyways, who are they fighting against? Well, I'll, an- I'll answer that first part of that. Okay. It's because they there was a video that showed them pull people into the embassy and beat protesters. Oh, um, so they're like, you're in... T- Oh, yes. Um, bam. Okay. okay and, and it is um, pseudo-Chinese citizens. They're from Hong Kong. Um, and, and there's a distinction there that is for another time. That's an hour discussion that we can have on that distinction. But a group of protesters were speaking out against Beijing for taking away rights from okay. Hong Kong citizens. Okay. Um, so all of this directly correlates with the fears of recent reports that China is setting up police stations and also what their intentions are with those police stations. Those are, you know, dragging foreign. their people back and dragging their people back to their country to face whatever legal repercussions. Right. Exactly. And, and make no mistake. China wants to be the world's greatest superpower. Yeah. In order to do that, they're going to need to control the narrative worldwide. Well, if they're going to do that. They'll need to control Western media sources. Yep. Have you seen any of that happening? So, I mean, it's subtle, which is what China wants. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even the pseudo nonpartisan media outlets, like I love Lo- uh, Reuters. It's very mm-hmm. nonpartisan. It just gives the news. Um, but those, so Reuters and NPR, which is a public ra- national public radio, they've put out some Chinese propaganda about COVID protests in the country. Um, they've also put out stuff applauding Chinese relations with the World Health Organization. Um, but, you know, those same publications are also speaking out against that installation of Chinese police stations abroad. As they and, should be. Yeah, definitely. So I don't think Western news publications are maliciously pushing a pro-China, like Big Brother narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think a pro-China bias is part of most mainstream journalists' worldview. So, you know, there's multiple reports of the Chinese government buying influence into multiple, at least mainstream U.S. publications. If you are going to say something like that, you'll need to back it up with some data. So do you have data to support your claim? Yes, and I do have data to support my claim. And that is uh, that's a great distinction. Uh, We should always be asked those kind of things. Where's the data coming from? Exactly. So this is coming. It can't just be all opinion. Yep. Yeah, 
we try not to just say something because we believe a certain thing. I mean, we have opinions. We voice our opinions. We don't shy away from that. But, you know, we still want you to make up your own mind. Exactly. And all that needs to be based in facts. So I have facts for everybody. Uh, There was a recent report from the U.S. Justice Department that said um, $700,000 was paid to Time magazine by the Chinese government. Um, $371,000. This is a very exact figure. Yeah. $371,577 went to the Financial Times. Right. Uh, $291,000 went to Foreign Policy Magazine. Um, They paid $272,000 to the Los Angeles Times. Mm -hmm. They they spent over a million to various other publications. They also, the Chinese Communist Party, paid more than $4.6 million to the Washington Post and nearly $6 million to... The Wall Street Journal since 2016. That is so <laughs> sketchy. It's very sketchy, but it also is a wide range of publications because if of you take those last were. two, um, the Washington Post v- is liberal, very progressive, um, but the Wall Street Journal is very conservative. So they're reaching. Well, of course. Well, they want to reach everybody and they want it to be subtle, like you said. So obviously you're going to have to stick your fingers into everybody's pie. You know what yep. I mean? Okay. Have you noticed have you noticed any of those publications writing more China friendly news articles? Well, I was putting this together really quickly, so I haven't been able to do a deep dive into that data, but I did make a note in my reminders um to look into it and it's probably a blog and an Instagram post that needs to go up. Um just to visually see what is going on here. Um but typically what happens? Money buys influence. So when I do this deep dive, I'm not going to be surprised to find out that these publications put in quite a few articles with pro, you know, Chinese Communist Party bias. So moving a little more east in the Pacific, what is happening with Japan's military as China gains influence in the region? So uh, China plant. Oh, goodness. Uh, uh- so Japan plans to double its defense spending by 2027. You know, China's on a 2025 timeline. Um, could get a little pushed closer to 2027. But they're the largest increase in 70 years is what Japan is looking to do for their uh, military and defense spending. Now, what is interesting, and we're going to go back to that uh, buying influence in Western media, um, but also know that this is anecdotal. So it's just one one off. It's not something I've been able to to go into. But in researching the topic, a that previously mentioned publication, the Financial Times, took a very subtle stance against Japan doing this. So, you know, twelve hundred word article by that publication, the Financial Times, China was only mentioned four times. And it was mainly mentioned under the auspice of perceived Chinese aggression. There is no perceived aggression from China. It's happening. Now, make no mistake, Japan is beefing up its military as a direct result of this actual, not perceived, Chinese aggression. Well, we're going to look forward to that deep dive on China's influence in Western media. But for now, let's discuss Africa and how the U.S. is trying to maintain influence in the region. Yeah, this is important. So... This week, U.S. and African leaders met in a planned three-day summit in Washington, D.C. U.S. President Joe Biden said the United States is all in 
on Africa's future. Uh, it's a fascinating statement because it appears the U.S. is appealing to African leaders in saying that the United States will help improve the infrastructure as well as the economies of many African nations if they are given, you know, more access to their country's highly sought after minerals. That's what Africa, the, the African continent is rife with all kinds of much needed minerals. Uh, but as of right now, uh, Chinese trade with Africa is about four times that of the United States. Um, and they've become an important creditor by offering cheap loans um, and much cheaper loans than the Western countries are offering. But we're too busy ramping up our friggin' interest yeah. rates and blaming everybody else for it. Hey, it's not cheap for us either. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely not cheap. It's horrifying is what it is. Now, I always like to put this in the perspective of um, maybe not data or anecdotal evidence, but what I've seen with my own eyes. And I've been to these countries in Africa. And what I've seen is that China pretty much exits a country wherever it goes, and it leaves it worse off than uh, than it was before they got there. So once they've gotten all those minerals, uh, they just leave. They don't build up the infrastructure. Now, uh, mm-hmm. the Chinese Communist Party will claim that they're going to improve infrastructure, but their actions during my time in Africa was the exact opposite of what they say. So is this summit between Africa and the U.S. a one-off thing, or will there be more? So as of... Right now, um, it looks as if the plan is to have U.S. delegates and the U.S. president, uh, which will be Joe Biden, travel to Africa in 2023. Now, we know that that can all change. Um, Everything can change. But that uh, that trip is supposed to further bolster partnerships between uh, all the African nations in the United States. So 2023 is kind of shaping up to be an interesting year. Now seems like a good time to get into the TikTok question. Our Instagram account posted a breaking news story with a poll about whether or not TikTok should be banned in the United States. And from what I remember, I think 90% of the respondents said yes. Can you get into why TikTok is the talk of legislation in the U.S.? Um, I can't. Your memory is accurate. You do remember that correctly. Um, We even received messages from people outside of the U.S., that said that it should be banned in their countries. Uh, those are places like Australia, New Zealand, the UK. Um, and it's because, I'm going to tell you why. Well, I'll give you some facts and then you can decide your own opinion. But yeah, yeah. ByteDance is the Chinese company that owns TikTok. Um, so that means that there's potential for data on US citizens to flow back to the Chinese Communist Party. Now, some may be like Saudi Arabia and say, you know, China already has all my data. So what is the big deal? The big deal is that it's not just the data concern that makes TikTok dangerous. Um, although the way that it tracks users, um, and if you actually read through their uh, terms of service, you can get into all this stuff. But the way it tracks users is quite dangerous. Um, it gives the uh this the Co- chinese communist party the ccp unfettered access to user data for whoever is using it now aside from that if you don't care that china has your data the other concern is that tiktok which as we speak right now has over 130 million users in the united states alone 
Um, and the majority of that is 16 to 24 year olds. And those are historically more involved in protesting policy changes and, and making a difference in the country. Um, Whichever but, country they're in. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, for good. You know, it, we see it in Iran. We're, we're seeing it in China. We're seeing it in a, in a bunch of different countries. But uh, the concern is that TikTok will use Chinese Communist Party propaganda to gain support from that specific demographic. That is who they're targeting. Um, this is very similar, but a different demographic to what Iran and Russia are doing with Twitter and Facebook. Now, unlike those campaigns, it's more focused to... So this Chinese um, campaign is focused more directly on future policymakers in the United States. Is that what you're most concerned about, the propaganda portion? Um I think I think they're equally concerning um and it's because I think together they can be used to affect change. So like I said those two concerns actually work together that data concern and the propaganda concern. Um if you have a certain demographics data that 18 uh, 16 to 24 year olds you can understand how to influence those demographics and use that to propo- to promote any narrative that you choose. Now, what I will say is that I don't, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, Tiana, but I don't tell anybody to delete TikTok. I don't, not I don't care. Not even your own it. kids. Yeah, not even my own kids. Um, but I do tell everybody to be careful how you use TikTok. Um, there is a ton of misinformation being promoted on the app, a lot of which is promoted through recipes. Um, there's a lot of fake recipes out there, guys. What do you mean fake recipes? <laughs> <laughs> just saying well these... was that a joke yes Sorry, that was a joke oh, okay sorry <laughs> i was like what are you i thought this was a serious tangent that you were going on i'm like what is a fake recipe you know how they have these like tiktok mm-hmm. you should do this and it well, doesn't really work i know they have recipes but i haven't seen i mean i've seen people be dumb for clout but that's a huge thing you know you know they're being dumb yeah for clout <laughs> But, you know, aside from that, there's also, you know, so the funny thing is that uh, TikToks are actually, so reels on Instagram, which is what I watch because I have Instagram, are actually. Yeah, we don't, we don't TikTok. Right. Um, We watch TikTok. We watch TikToks a couple weeks after they're popular on TikTok when they show up on reels. On Instagram reels. And those are. Like normal old people. Right. We're old. We're, we're old people. Um, Yeah. But I can, I mean, we can both say that they're, some of those are very funny. I love yeah. it. They're informative. They have some very informative ones on mental health. Um, and then just overall, they're very entertaining videos. So that's not what we're talking about here. Um, but I, I'm going to say this. If a person is well-informed and they still love scrolling through TikTok videos and it doesn't affect their mental health, that's more power to you keep doing uh just understand that not everything on the internet is based in fact and you should probably already know that but also i think um that's kind of doing a disservice talking about the younger generation i think they're kind of i think they're very good at sifting through the bs i think so too and that's why now you know they post a lot of videos when they're in the thick of a protest or they see some sort of wrong occurring, they record that. So what China might be trying to push, I think the younger generation will see through it. Yeah, hopefully. definitely. 
That's what and I, it, I feel like they know what to they know that that's the game. I think a lot of people also are starting to realize that you can't implicitly trust your government. Unfortunately, we wish we could. We wish it was transparent and everything was laid out clearly to us and there was fairness and equity. And but there isn't any of that. And it's become more apparent that I think I think the younger generations will see through the BS that China might be trying to push there. And they always do, right? Yeah. You know, we saw it in... The old tricks don't work on the new new puppies here. Yeah, we saw it in the 70s um, Mm -hmm. with, I mean, it was called, like I guess it was called the hippie movement here in in the U.S., but it was to affect change for um, race relations in the U.S. in the 60s, the civil rights movement. And also... Vietnam played and, in the, and Vietnam. the Korean War. And, yep. You know, young young yeah. people get tapped into that stuff. Um, yeah. So so I agree with that. We're all breaking generational curses, guys. All of us. Yep. Do it. I say all of us, but I've literally done nothing. That's not true. <laughs> you were on this podcast promoting. Well, well I was just trying to say promote. that I feel I feel like. The younger generation would see through if even if they posted it on a recipe, they'd be like, "This is dumb." Yeah, we're not going to we're not going to ingest this information and have it tether in our brains, <laughs> and we're not going to spread this around to everyone. Oh my gosh! Well, do you want to move on? No more wine. Yeah, no more wine for me. Right? Okay. Oh no, so, keep it going. Anyways, <laughs> let's move. South America and get an update on Peru. Um, are changes? Are there any changes since they arrested their president and installed their first female president of Peru? Yeah. Um, so immediately after the arrest of President Pedro Castillo, the the country exploded into protest. Um, we are learning now that there's at least seven dead. There were two teenagers. One was uh, one Aww. was sixteen, and one was thirteen. It's tragic. Oh. Um, I mean, obviously, any loss of life is tragic. But yeah, babies. Yep, we're just talking about a generation that's going to change the world. And yeah, uh, and they they're out, and they're still the smoke of the fires and the smoke from tear gas. The tear gas are still hanging over the streets today. Now, protesters from Peru did take over the airport in the sutter in the in a southern city of Peru. Um I do have the name here, but I do not want to say it because I'm not comfortable saying that, but it's A N D A H U A Y L A S. I'm saying that so maybe someone can help us pronounce it so that Please. we aren't insulting I mean we probably should have looked that up. <laughs> well, I, I listened to it a few times, and I'm still not comfortable saying uh, it. So there's so, a lot of okay. yeah. Um, so it's a fancy word that actually left thousands of tourists stranded because they couldn't get out of the country. So are they protesting to reinstall Pedro Castillo as president? Uh, well, some are, but most are actually demanding the suspension of Congress, which is what Castillo called for. Um, they also want early elections. They want a new constitution, and then they also want uh, Pedro Castillo's immediate release from jail. Now, um, the newly sworn in first female president of Peru has said that the plan now, due to the protests, is to hold elections in April of 2024. 
Um, some government officials hope that doing the elections in 2024 is going to calm that nationwide protest. Peru's government this week did place a 30-day state of emergency due to violence from clashes between security officials and protesters. Now, I'm going to say that Peruvians are fed up with this constant governmental change, and they should be. You shouldn't have six presidents over the last decade. Um, they view Castillo as a man of the people. He was he came from a poor farming family. So I don't see the protest stopping anytime soon. And that April 2024 election uh, timeline is not going to do anything to bring peace to Peru in the near future. So what is next for Peru? So if the protests continue, Peru is going to need to hold elections a year sooner than the government wants. So that's going to be 2023. Um, I could also see Pedro Castillo run again if protesters' uh, demands of his release are agreed to. So he's going to be out of jail. He can run again. Um, Now, like we've spoken about over the last two months, South America continues to be, to me, the most interesting geopolitical region in the world. Since that story is going to be months in the making... I guess we need to get into history's mysteries. So what do you have for the audience this week? So this week, we are going to discuss Anthony Blunt, who's the youngest son of the Reverend Arthur Stanley Vaughan Blunt, who's a vicar for the Church of England. Um, He's also the third cousin of Queen Elizabeth II. So what is so fascinating about him? Well, there's tons to get into here. So first... He was granted a scholarship to Trinity College at Cambridge University. It's a a math scholarship. Um, Now, it was at Cambridge that Blunt became exposed to communist sympathies. That wasn't uncommon as uh, Cambridge was really a hub of like liberal college educated youth. And they were very infuriated with the appeasement towards Hitler. So the West was really trying to appease Hitler at the time. Now, Blunt actually recalled the atmosphere in in Cambridge saying in the mid-1930s, it seemed to me and many of my contemporaries that the Communist Party in Russia constituted the only firm bulwark against fascism, since the Western democracies were taking an uncertain and uncompromising attitude towards Germany. We all felt it was our duty to do what we could against fascism. This is something we're seeing now. Let's move on to his work as a spy, because that's what History's Mysteries is about. So, according to Michelle Carter, Blunt provided Soviet intelligence officers with 1,771 documents between 1941 and 1945. Now, the sheer amount of material passed over by Blunt made the Russians suspicious that he was actually a triple agent in what he was doing. Um, He wasn't. He was a uh, a stalwart of the Communist Party. He loved Russia. He loved the Communist Party. Now, from 1945 to 1972, Blunt served as the surveyor of the king's and then the queen's pictures. Um, so during his time looking after the royal collection, he became a close friend of the royal family. They trusted him, later awarded him a knighthood. So he became... Um, in 1963, however... MI5 acquired concrete evidence that he was actually a Russian, a Russian spy. This came from an American who Blunt had actually recruited himself. Um, he later on would confess to MI5 in April of 1964 that he was a spy, and then he named others as spies. Okay, cool story. Well, it's not over yet. After all that, the intelligence services believed that his crimes 
should be kept under wraps because it reflected so badly on the competency of MI5 and MI6. They thought that it would look bad because they allowed a Soviet spy to operate unnoticed at the heart of the British establishment. So they allowed him to stay through the 1970s. Then Margaret Thatcher came along in 1979, and she made a speech, and she talked about in April 1964, Sir Anthony Blunt had admitted to the security authorities that he had been recruited by and had acted as a talent spotter for Russian intelligence before the war when he was at Cambridge. And he had passed information regularly to the Russians while he was a member of the Soviet of the, of the security service in the UK between 1940 and, 90, and 1945. And that he made this admission after being given an undertaking that he would not be prosecuted if he confessed. So, as we know, after, uh, not as we know, but after Margaret Thatcher made that speech, we are keenly aware that in the UK, the press hounds everybody trying to get a story. And they did that with Blunt. Um, they forced him to give a press conference, and he recounted his communist loyalties. Now, in a typed manuscript, Blunt conceded that spying for the Soviet Union was the biggest mistake of his life. And after he did that, four years later, he did die of a heart attack. So that was his life. But what I find most intriguing about this is it kind of shows how quickly the world shapes geopolitics. So Blunt, if you believe what he said openly, saw his work with Russia originally as beneficial to the United Kingdom. Um, and honestly, it was. He helped defeat Hitler and Nazism. But just a few years after that, Russia and communism was the enemy. So uh, it's important when we discuss these shifts in geopolitics, this is why we talk about these things because these allegiances continue to change and they can change in a, at a moment's notice. Pause it. Anything else for this week? After that, we are out of time this week. As always, if you like this show, please try to tell at least one person about us. We can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have a moment, head over to Apple or Spotify and give us a five-star review because those can help us get noticed by thousands of podcast listeners globally. And as always, if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, follow us on Instagram at Oakwind Analytics. Tiana, thank you so much. Until next week, stay safe out there.